Father, we, we pray that you would keep us from getting tired of retelling the old, old story over and over again. Lord, may it be something that we love to hear no matter how many times it's told. And Lord, we thank you for all the ways that your word retells that story to us in new ways and fresh ways. And, and one of those ways is through the true story of Ruth that we have been looking at these past several weeks. Uh, so many times uh, this, this wonderful and true story is just retelling in a fresh way the gospel to us as we see Naomi and Ruth in need of a redeemer and we see that redeemer come on the scene and, and work to bring about their redemption. It, it points our attention ahead to this redeemer's greater descendant, the greater redeemer, our Lord Jesus Christ. And we pray that as we work through this third chapter this morning that that we would gain fresh insights of our Savior, that we would love him more, and that the gospel story would hit us in a new way, a fresh way, um, in such a way that we would love it all the more, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please turn in your Bibles to Ruth chapter 3. We're looking at the first five verses this morning. Ruth 3, 1 through 5. Verse 1, Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Now is not Boaz our kinsman, with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. It shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. She said to her, All that you say, I will do. I have two sisters, as most of you know, who are both married, and in each of their cases, their prospective husbands went to my dad to ask his permission to marry his daughter. Now, my dad loves his daughters very much and is protective of them. So what was it about these young men that made my dad, together with my mom, at least reasonably confident that if he gave these men permission, it would result in well-being and rest for his daughters? And I've never actually asked him that question, but I would imagine that a major factor was that he could tell that both of these young men loved Christ, that they trusted Christ, and that their characters were being conformed to Christ. And by the grace of God, my dad's judgment of both of those men has proven true, because I would be hard-pressed to find better men than the two men who became my sister's husbands, men that I look up to, men that I have never once worried about whether or not they would love my sisters well. As we come to the third chapter of Ruth, we find Naomi in the position of having to place one who is a daughter to her into the hands of a man. And she is, at this stage of the narrative, playing matchmaker, with Naomi's husband dead and with Ruth's 
father out of the picture back in Moab, Naomi takes it upon herself to move toward arranging a marriage for Ruth. And though we may struggle to make sense of her methods, which we will look at in this chapter, we will heartily affirm her goals as well as the guy that she chooses for the gal that she loves. And this little three-person drama, as we work through it, it's going to cause us to think about our own goals as believers as we seek to live a life of matchmaking, if you will, as we seek to bring those who are in need to the Redeemer, as we seek to match up people with the Lord Jesus Christ, that they may become a part of his bride, the church. So first, let's look at Naomi's goal. And her goal, as we're going to see in verses 1 through 2, is rest for Ruth. That is her goal, rest for Ruth. Look at verse 1. Then Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, said to her, My daughter, shall I not seek security for you, that it may be well with you? Naomi, Ruth's mother-in-law, once again addresses Ruth as her daughter. So Naomi's bond to Ruth, it's more than just a legal bond. Ruth is more than just a daughter-in-law to Naomi. She is her daughter. And just as a mother would be concerned about the well-being of her own child, so Naomi is concerned about the well-being of Ruth. And Naomi here, she's not only speaking as one who has this concern, she is speaking as one who views herself as having the responsibility to do this. It's not just a concern to her, she feels that it is a responsibility that rests upon her to seek this for Ruth. Isn't that what she says in verse 1? She says, my daughter, shall I not seek security for you? It's a rhetorical question. What's the expected answer? Yes, she should seek security for Ruth. And the security that Naomi feels obligated to seek for Ruth, that's a word that often refers to animals or people that have been wandering around and finally come to a place of rest. The word means rest, a resting place. And we've seen a similar word already back in chapter 1. Turn back to chapter 1 and verse 9. This is where Naomi prayed for her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth. And listen to what she prayed. She said, May the Lord grant that each of you may find rest. That word shares the same root as, as the one we saw in chapter 3. May the Lord grant that you find rest. And what kind of rest does Naomi have in mind? She continues, May the Lord grant that you find rest each in the house of her husband. That is the rest that Naomi is envisioning in chapter 1 and here in chapter 3. Now, what is her concern in trying to procure a husband for Ruth? Is she scheming to try and find a way to perpetuate the name of her dead husband and her two dead sons? We saw in chapter 1 that that is the big problem presented to us. Is, is she just trying to manipulate her way to get a resolution to that major concern? No, that's not her motivation here. She tells us what her motivation is back in chapter 3, verse 1. She says, Shall I not seek security or shall I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? 
That's her concern. Her concern is not so much her problem, but Ruth's problem. She is concerned for the well-being of her daughter-in-law. True to form, for each of the main characters that we've seen in this true story, is this concern for the other rather than for the self. Naomi is motivated by loving kindness. Her concern is for Ruth. And it's the same concern that we saw her have back in chapter 1. Remember, at the outset, uh, her, her husband and her sons die, and she's left with her two daughters-in-law, and all of them are bereft of their husbands, and they start to go back to Judah with Naomi, but she urges them to go back to Moab. Why? Because she was concerned about them. It would be much harder for Naomi to be on her own, to be alone, but regardless of that fact, she seeks the well-being of her daughters-in-law. She says, go back, because that's what's best for you. And that concern, that selfless concern, has never left her heart. She's still concerned about Ruth. That concern has never left. That this daughter standing in front of her is still wandering, if you will, and Naomi is burdened by loving concern for this young woman. Now, verse 2, Naomi goes on. She says, Now is not Boaz our kinsman or our relative, with whose maids you were? Behold, he winnows barley at the threshing floor tonight. Now, just to give you a picture of what is meant by winnowing barley at the threshing floor, the threshing floor, that was where the, the stalks of grain were brought, and they were laid down on that floor, and uh, harvesters would either walk an animal around on top of it or hitch up a sledge, this, this flat instrument with uh, maybe some stone teeth on the bottom. They would hitch that up to an animal, and, and the harvester would stand on top of it to, to push it down. And as the animal walked around, that instrument would thresh the grain stalks. It would break it up so that the, the grains would be separated from the husks. That was threshing. Winnowing was when they took a, a shovel or a fork uh, or a, a kind of fan and they would throw the, the grain and husk mixture up into the air and the wind would blow the, the husks away, the chaff away, leaving the grain. Naomi knows that that is the work that Boaz is going to be doing that night, according to verse 2. Back in chapter 1, in verses 11 through 13, remember as Naomi and Orpah and Ruth were coming back to Judah, remember how Naomi had kept urging her daughters-in-law to leave, to go back. And why did she want them to go back? Because she could not see a future for them if they kept following her. In Naomi's mind, if they followed her back to Judah, there would be no one who could provide them with the rest that she wanted for them. Well, when we've come to chapter 3, things are different now. Remember, hope has been injected into her life. Things look differently now. In chapter 2, Naomi witnessed a man demonstrate the ability and the willingness to provide the rest and security that Naomi wants for Ruth. And this man's name, as we found out, was Boaz. And this man generously provided food for them. 
by giving Ruth unprecedented access to the harvest, gleaning more than she ever could have on her own. This man who did this for her was their relative, and this man was one of their kinsmen redeemers. Remember what a kinsman redeemer is? It was somebody who was a relative to someone in need, and the responsibility rested upon them to deliver their relative from a difficult situation. That is this man, this man that burst onto the scene in chapter 2. And Naomi sees in this man someone who can bring rest and security to Ruth. Before, in chapter 1, there looked like there was no hope. Now the hope is bright. The possibilities are looming large in Naomi's mind. And that very night, the night that Naomi is having this conversation with Ruth, that very night, Naomi knew that Boaz would be winnowing barley at the threshing, threshing floor. And Naomi sees an opportunity here. She sees an opportunity present itself. And because of Naomi's loving commitment to Ruth, Naomi's not going to pass up this opportunity that she has to get these two people together. That's what we've been wanting, right? We've been wanting, since chapter 2 and Boaz came on the scene, we've been wanting this man and this woman to get together. Well, that's what Naomi wants too. And she is going to take advantage of this opportunity to make it happen. Just referring us back to chapter 1 again, remember that Naomi had prayed that God would provide rest for Ruth. She knew that she could not provide rest for Ruth, but she knew that God could. And so she prayed to the only one who would be able to do that, that he would give her rest. But now, here in chapter 3, Naomi is coming up with this strange scheme that we're going to read about in the next couple verses, this scheme to thrust Boaz and Ruth together. Now, why is she doing this? Does Naomi no longer believe that God is going to come through for her? Does she think that she needs to take matters into her own hands and try to make this happen? I don't think that's the case at all. Such a conclusion would go against the whole tenor of the entire book. Because remember, in chapter 1, we saw that Naomi had a strong conviction that God Almighty was in control of all things. We saw that very clearly in chapter 1 when Naomi attributed her tragedy to the hand of Almighty God. And that same conviction that God is in control of all things, that is coming into play here in chapter 3. She has begun to see the hand of God at work in these circumstances, the circumstances that have been playing out in chapter 2 on into chapter 3. She's seeing the wheels of redemption begin to turn. She's seeing God order circumstances in such a way that she knows she, that God is leading her and Ruth to hope. And for a woman who has such a firm faith on the fact that God is sovereign, that he's in control of all things, there is no way that this woman has failed to conclude that God has been behind what has occurred. God was the one who had directed Ruth to the field of one of her kinsmen redeemers. God was the one who had given Ruth favor in that man's eyes. 
God was the one who caused that man not to forsake his loving kindness to Naomi's family. So I think it's far more probable that Naomi sees the hand of God bringing Boaz and Ruth together in answer to her prayer from chapter 1. Well, if God is doing this, and if Naomi sees that God is doing this, why doesn't she just sit back and let it happen? Why does she come up with this weird scheme to send her daughter-in-law in the night to a man alone? Well, it's because Naomi sees no contradiction between praying for someone's good on the one hand and acting for someone's good on the other hand. Praying for something and acting for something are not mutually exclusive. In fact, those two things often go hand in hand. Oftentimes, in answer to our prayers for God to bless someone, God gives us, the prayer, God gives us, the one praying, the very means for the answer to that prayer. Oftentimes, God uses the praying person to answer the very prayer that person prayed. And faithful love, that is, loving kindness, is always on the lookout for how to participate in answering the prayer you prayed for that person. It's actually a lack of faithful love. It's a lack of loving kindness to pray for someone and then not act for their good when it's within your power to do so. Turn with me to James chapter 2 just to show us this. James 2, 14 to 17. James there says in verse 14, What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith, but he has no works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled. That sounds almost like a prayer. May that happen for you. When one of you says that, go in peace, be warmed, and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. If I pray that the Lord would do something for someone, and then I see that in the providence of God, he has fashioned me with the very means to answer that, for that which I desire for that person, but then I don't do it, I don't really love that person. No, prayer and action go hand in hand, and that's what we see happening here with Naomi. She has prayed for something for her daughter-in-law. She is seeing God providentially put her in a position to actually do something about it, to try to, to bring rest to her beloved daughter-in-law. And just thinking about how this applies to us as believers here and now, today, how many times have you prayed that God would save someone, that God would bring that person to know Jesus Christ? That he would bring your friend, your coworker, your family member, your neighbor to repentance and faith. That person that you pray for is lost. They are wandering. 
Like Ruth was wandering, that person is in need of what? They're in need of rest, security. They are headed for the cliff of experiencing the wrath of God. And just as Naomi knew the name of the one who could provide rest for her daughter-in-law, so you know the name of the one who can provide rest for that wandering unbeliever. You know the one who can be their redeemer. Have you ever thought about the fact that it could be that God is orchestrating circumstances in such a way that he intends for you to be the one to introduce that person to Jesus Christ? Maybe you're going to have the whole day working with a coworker, and opportunity is going to come up for you to talk with this person. Maybe you have a family get-together coming up, and that, that one family member that you've been praying for, there may come a, an opportunity to have a private conversation with that person. Or maybe you see your neighbor working in the yard next door, and he's struggling with something, and you have the opportunity to go and help him and strike up a conversation with him. Is God orchestrating events so that you can be the means he uses to answer the prayer that you prayed for the salvation of that person? When was the last time you sought in faithful love to be the means God would use to answer your own prayer? When was the last time you attempted to be the one that God would use to arrange a meeting between that person and Jesus Christ. Just something to think about for me and for you. Goal, uh, Naomi's goal for Ruth, that's our goal for the unbeliever, that they find rest in the Lord Jesus. And just as Naomi is acting on that goal, so must we. Well, that brings us to the guy in all of this, the guy that... Naomi is wanting Ruth to find rest in. And it's here that we see that rest is available in the Redeemer. That is, that is where Naomi knows this rest that she desires for Ruth can be found. It can be found in this man, the Redeemer. Naomi, out of her great love for Ruth, is seeking to bring about this meeting between those two. She's seeking to bring about this rest that Ruth can have in this man. Verse 3, she gives Ruth instructions for how to go about coming into contact with this man. Verse 3, she says, Wash yourself, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your best clothes, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. So Naomi, she rattles off four things that she wants Ruth to do. Let's look at the first three to start with. First, she tells Ruth to bathe. Second, she tells Ruth to anoint herself. And most likely, Ruth would have anointed herself with a perfumed olive oil. They didn't have sticks of deodorant back then, so you had to use perfumed olive oil to cover up your body odor. Third, she tells Ruth to put on her clothes. And most, translation adds, most translations add the word best, that Ruth was being told to put on her best or nicest clothes. But the word there is simply the word for clothes. And I think translators add that adjective best or nicest because 
they assume that Naomi's telling Ruth to do what? To get prettied up, to attract this man so that he will want to marry her. But that may not be the best explanation. The Hebrew words here for wash, for anoint, and for clothes, they only appear all together in one other place in Scripture. And that is in 2 Samuel 12. Turn with me to 2 Samuel 12 and verse 20. This is after David committed the heinous sin of arranging for Uriah's death so that he could steal the man's wife, so that he could cover up his sin of adultery with that man's wife. And a child was conceived as a result of his sinful act, and God, to discipline David, has brought sickness on this child, and this child is dying and ends up dying. Second Samuel 12, let's start back in verse 16. This is after the child has fallen ill. David therefore inquired of God for the child, and David fasted and went and lay all night on the ground. Verse 17, the elders of his household stood beside him in order to raise him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat food with them. Then it happened on the seventh day that the child died, and the servants of David were afraid to tell him that the child was dead. For they said, Behold, while the child was still alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to our voice. How then can we tell him that the child is dead, since he might do himself harm? But when David saw that his servants were whispering together, David perceived that the child was dead. So David said to his servants, Is the child dead? And they said, He is dead. And this is the key verse, verse 20. So David arose from the ground, and here's these three words, washed, anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he came into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he came to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. There, these three words are used in connection with David ending his time of what? Mourning. He was ending his time of mourning for his dying child. Following this passage is another passage that indicates the type of behavior that accompanied mourning the death of a loved one. We see this in 2 Samuel 14. In this chapter, Joab concocts this scheme to try to get David reunited with his son Absalom, and he employs uh, this, this woman from Tekoa to kind of go through this charade to try to manipulate David, and, sh- and Joab gives this woman some instructions. 2 Samuel 14, verse 2. So Joab sent to Tekoa and brought a wise woman from there and said to her, Please pretend to be a mourner and put on mourning garments now and do not anoint yourself with oil, but be like a woman who has been mourning for the dead many days. So mourning involved wearing certain clothes and it involved not anointing yourself with oil. Back to Ruth 3. When Naomi tells Ruth to wash to anoint herself, and to put on her clothes, she may simply be telling Ruth to end her period of mourning and to put away the signs of her mourning. 
And this seems to fit the context well, doesn't it? Because Ruth's husband had died. That was the whole thing that sent Naomi and Ruth back to Judah in the first place. Naomi's two sons, one of which was Ruth's husband, died. No doubt Ruth was mourning. And it may also explain why Ruth went through the whole harvest season with nothing more developing between her and Boaz. If Boaz saw that she was mourning, he's not going to explore marriage with somebody who's mourning. So by Ruth putting off the outward signs of her mourning, mourning clothes, not anointing herself, if she shows up to him with normal clothes and perfumed oil upon her, Ruth will send the loud and clear signal to Boaz that she's ready for what? For marriage. For marriage. Now, uh, verse 3, the fourth thing that Naomi tells Ruth to do is to go down to the threshing floor, the place where field crops were threshed and winnowed, the place where Naomi knew Boaz would be. But when Ruth goes, she is not to let Boaz know she is there until he has finished eating and drinking. And what's the reason for this? Well, no doubt, as Boaz has shown before, if he sees her, he, he probably is going to offer her a meal with everybody else. But Naomi doesn't want them to have this conversation in the presence of everybody else. She wants Ruth to have this conversation in private with Boaz. She wants Ruth to wait until Boaz is done working, done eating and drinking. By that time, he's going to be content, ready to fall asleep quickly for the night because he's going to stay there to help guard the grain. Verse 4, Naomi continues. She gives Ruth another series of four commands. She says, It shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go and uncover his feet and lie down. Then he will tell you what you shall do. <clears throat> so first, Ruth is to pay close attention where exactly Boaz lies down to sleep. And the reason for that would seem obvious. Be bad if Ruth came up in the night to the wrong guy. That would not work out well. So she needs to pay attention to where Boaz goes so, so that she can get the right guy. And it seems that Naomi was counting on the fact that Boaz would fall asleep quickly due to the day's hard work, due to having a full stomach. It seems that Naomi is counting on that because of what she tells Ruth to do after he lays down. She was to go to him and uncover his feet and lie down. It's unlikely that Naomi intends for Ruth to do that while Boaz is awake. No, he's, he needs to be asleep for that to happen. Now, the narrator in in verses 3 and 4, he seems to be heightening the tension that we feel as readers in order to communicate the tension that no doubt Ruth and Boaz will feel on that night. He uses ambiguous words that in other contexts often speak of behavior that would only be appropriate for a married couple, behavior that would be very inappropriate for an unmarried couple. Ruth is secretly at night, going to a threshing floor. And the threshing floor was a place where less than reputable things took place. Turn with me over to Hosea to see this. 
Hosea 9. Hosea 9, verse 1. Do not rejoice, O Israel, with exaltation like the nations, for you have played the harlot, forsaking your God. You have loved harlot's earnings on every threshing floor. So according to Hosea 9, 1, this sounds more like the behavior of a harlot than it does the behavior of the upstanding woman we have come to know in this book. Ruth is to go to this man. She is to uncover his feet. She is to lie down. And we think, what is Naomi telling Ruth to do? Naomi seems to be placing Ruth in a very compromising position here. But we know, from what we have come to know about these three people so far, that Naomi is certainly not telling Ruth to act immorally. And she is not putting her beloved daughter-in-law in danger. Because remember verse 1, what is Naomi seeking? She's not seeking to shame Ruth. She's not seeking for her to do something that would offend God. What is she seeking? She's seeking rest for Ruth. She's seeking well-being for Ruth. Her having, do, having Ruth do something wrong would not serve that end. The narrator has not given us any room to read verses 3 and 4 in a way that makes Naomi out to be telling Ruth to do something shameful. So what is Naomi doing? She is arranging for Ruth to have a private conversation with, with Boaz, a man who she knows is of unsurpassed integrity, a man that Naomi trusts completely to act in, it, in an entirely honorable way toward her daughter-in-law, who's putting herself in a vulnerable position. And you can hear that confidence in what Naomi says next in verse 4. After she has done this, after she has put herself in a very vulnerable position, what does Naomi say Boaz would, will do? Then he will tell you what you shall do. There's no doubt in her mind. He will tell you what you shall do. There's no doubt in her mind that Boaz will act improperly. He will, he will act honorably. He will act in accordance with the loving kindness that he has shown all the way up until this point. Well, what about uncovering his feet? What's that all about? Well, we'll get to that next time. So show up next Sunday. For now, I just want us to meditate on the aspect of Boaz's character that would even make an unusual plan like this possible. Naomi would never send her daughter-in-law in this manner to a man if he was a man of questionable integrity. She would not do that. I have a daughter on the way due in August, and though I have not yet held her in my arms or seen her tiny face, I can already feel the protectiveness seeping into my soul. And Naomi, who views Ruth as her daughter, she wouldn't violate that, that protectiveness. As a, as, as a dad of a daughter, I already dread the day when some fresh-faced goofball will come to my door thinking that he's good enough to ask me for my daughter's hand in marriage. Who does he think he is? 
to do that. He will have to be quite a guy for me to willingly place my daughter into his hands. And this is where I want to connect this to our lives as believers. Naomi is placing her, to her, her daughter in this man's hands because of how she views this man. Any father has a hard time putting his daughter in some man's hands. But do you know that there is one man into whose hands I will not hesitate to place my daughter? A man who even now I am praying for my daughter to fall in love with and to trust even more than she would ever love and trust me. And who is that man? Jesus Christ, the one true God of the universe, the one who is the descendant of Boaz, the one who took on flesh in order to provide rest and security for undeserving sinners like me and my daughter. I want her to know him. And like Naomi could not provide rest for Ruth, so I cannot provide rest for my daughter. I cannot provide the security that her wandering soul needs. But like Naomi, I know the one who can. And I know that if my daughter runs to him, she will be safe. She will have rest. Because there is a Redeemer, someone who took on flesh in order to become our relative, someone who lived a perfectly righteous life in the place of sinners, someone who died on a cross, suffering the penalty that you and I deserve to suffer because of our crimes against the holy God. And this one, this Jesus, rose from the dead, showing that he is qualified, he is able, and he is willing to save all who would put themselves in the vulnerable position of repenting of their sins and trusting him alone to save them and rule them. The vulnerable position of surrendering their lives to him. This Jesus, whom Boaz is a foreshadowing of, this Jesus is the one that you should be pointing your daughters to, your sons, your neighbors, your friends and co-workers. You should be pointing them to him. He is the only one that you can fully trust to deal with your loved ones in an appropriate way that will result in their everlasting rest. You can go to that unbeliever that you love and you can tell him, go lie down at the feet of Jesus because you know that whatever Jesus tells that person to do will be for that person's everlasting rest. Jesus said in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He talks about how he is gentle and humble in heart, and that if we come to him, if we take his yoke upon us and learn from him, we will find him gentle and humble in heart, and we will find rest for our souls. There is rest in the Redeemer. And that brings us to verse 5, where we find the gal in all of this. And we see in, in, in Ruth's response, we see that she is desiring rest for Naomi. And we don't see it spelled out for us in this verse, but as we go on later in the passage, we're going to see that Ruth responds this way because she is seeking rest for Naomi. 
She, re- she responds very simply to what Naomi's plan is. Verse 5, she said to her, all that you say, I will do. I will do it. Next week, we're going to see that while Naomi was thinking of Ruth's well-being in concocting this seemingly crazy plan, Ruth here, by saying, all that you tell me, I'm going to do it. Ruth, by saying that, she is thinking of Naomi's well-being. She is thinking about how she can act in order to bring rest to Naomi. And we don't see that in this verse. Ruth is... She is silently planning for how she can provide rest for Naomi. And we're going to see that later on. As Naomi plans to get rest for Ruth, Ruth is silently planning to get rest for Naomi. It's like these two women are engaged in a chess match in which they are trying to outdo one another in showing loving kindness. In chapter 1, Naomi said, go home so that they would find rest, but Ruth says, no, I'm going to stay with you. Not even the grave is going to separate me from you. Here, Naomi is saying, go to Boaz. You're going to find rest in him. And Ruth silently is thinking, if I do this, I know it's going to provide rest for Naomi. And so she says, all that you say, I will do. And that is a chess match that we all should be engaged in. We should be seeking to outdo one another in showing loving kindness to each other. I want to close by reading from Romans 12, where we see that principle of trying to outdo one another. Romans 12, verses 9 through 13. Paul writes, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. That's Naomi and Ruth. Give preference to one another, or more literally, outdo one another. I don't know if that's more literally, but that's how my Bible says you could also translate that verse. Outdo one another in showing honor. Not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. And as in this case between Naomi and Ruth, it often happens that as we seek to bless others, God sees fit to cause that blessing to rebound back upon us. And as Naomi works for blessing Ruth, that blessing is going to come back upon her a thousandfold. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this picture of our Redeemer that we find in in the the person of Boaz and in his relationship with Naomi and Ruth, we see in him an echo, a foreshadowing of our great Redeemer, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, I pray that you would give us the heart that seeks rest for others and that we would seek their rest only in Jesus and that like Naomi, we would be active in seeking to arrange meetings between them and the Lord Jesus. Make us Such people like Naomi, we pray in Jesus' name, amen.